Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network, it's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 64 of the podcast. This week we are covering season three, episode three, technically episode two, but season three, episode three, Manchester, part two. It was written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Thomas Shlami and first aired on October 17th of 2001. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from Sorkin Cast. WordPress.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of this podcast. You can also find contact links and podcast app links. And if you would take the time to leave me a review on whatever podcast app that you use, it would help me greatly because there are quite a few podcasts out there covering West Wing. Not so much worried about podcasts just covering Sorkin. I think I'm pretty much the only one that's going to be doing that, at least for now. But uh, it helps me story more noticeable among the podcasts that cover this kind of material if you leave a written review. Also, it helps me know what you like or dislike about the show. And I've, you know, people have fielded complaints through that medium, and I'm perfectly good with that. You can also field complaints or praise uh, through the medium of contacting me at SorkinCast on Twitter, or you can send an email to SorkinCast at gmail.com if you need more than 140 characters. Or you can call 314-669-1840 if you just don't feel like typing at all. So there you go. Lots of ways you can contact me. And we will be having a feedback episode regarding the first 12 episodes of Season 3, like the last week of May. So if you want your feedback about any of those episodes to be read on our feedback podcast, please get them to me by Tuesday, May 23rd. Of 2017. Also, coming up fairly soon, we will be having our poll opening to decide what's next in terms of what we cover, because I let the listeners choose what kind of Sorkin show we cover next. Will it be season four of West Wing? Will it be season two of Newsrooms? Season one uh, or season point five of Studio 60? Or maybe season one of Sports Night? Uh, I give you the options and you go and vote. The poll will open on April 4th, 2017. It will close on June 6th of 2017. That's your window to decide what we cover after we cover season three of The West Wing. Of course, covering something afterwards is still quite a ways away. But that's another thing to think about. Over those 23 episodes, I want you to think about what was your favorite and least favorite episode. What was your favorite and least favorite scene? favorite and least favorite main character, and favorite and least favorite guest star. And when we do our second feedback podcast regarding season three of The West Wing, uh, we will let you know your nominations in. Again, that's a little ways off, but never too early to start thinking about it. And I guess that's enough about the podcast. I gave you all of the information up front 
about the episode simply because uh, it doesn't seem to make sense to say just the episode title and then talk about the podcast and then go back and give you the information about the episode. So changing the format there just a little bit. But here is your episode summary. In the last 48 hours before the campaign kickoff, recountings from the past four weeks continue, bringing all of the political and personal issues to the forefront. That is basically what happens in this episode. We always try to find a good walk and talk in every episode, too. I haven't had much luck lately, but uh, this week I found a walk and talk for you. It's where the characters are walking through various sets or various places all in one kind of slickly cut scene and they're having a conversation. And uh, here we go. This one is CJ's and Leo's walk and talk when they start in the office and work their way down the street there in Manchester. I spoke to the first lady. I thought it might not be a bad idea if there were some opportunities with the two of them together at the house. What was her reaction? Well, she denied me cider. What else? I'll brief the Sunday papers and what they can expect from the speech on Monday. You know, it's not written yet. I'm just giving them highlights. What highlights? I'm making them up. Okay. I thought maybe you could speak to her. Who? The first lady. Look, Every I don't... paper today had a picture on the front page of the president boarding Air Force One to go home by himself. It's the Saturday paper. Are there any number of press questions We're about why? We're private men, CJ. We don't talk about our marriages. What do you want from me? I'm not wild about the fact that you told Toby what we discussed. He's the communications director. You don't think he should know? When I think it's time. When I sir. think it's time, I will tell anyone who works for me anything I damn please. No one, CJ, stop being pissed at me about hate. Yeah, okay. Yeah, CJ really does have a lot going on in this episode, and it, it still kind of takes a back seat to some of the Josh stuff and all of that. Uh, but it is another one of these issues that just seems to keep festering and getting worse as it goes along. Um, I did feel like that this conversation between her and Leo really kind of encapsulated that. But going away from the serious stuff, there's always some humor in the episode as well. And sometimes it's with people taking jabs at each other, or in, either in a per- personal or professional way, or sometimes they're just funny lines, humorous quotes. And we have a collection of those for you this week. Here's that more prosperous America we can create together. There's a snake over here. What kind? I don't know and I don't want to ask him. Can somebody shoot it, please? It's probably a garter snake. It's a garter snake, don't worry about it. Okay. Bruno. Yeah, uh, listen up, I've been thinking, it might not be such a bad idea for me to lock you all in here and set the place on fire. We have 48 hours before we kick off this campaign. We will work hard, we will work well, and we will work together. Or so help me, Mother of God, I will stick a pitchfork so far up your asses you will quite simply be dead. And so with pride and purpose, I hereby announce my candidacy for the presidency of the United States. What else? Asylum for himself and 60 of his family members. Where? Here. Well, that's a bit of a dilemma. Does anybody have room at their place for Bazan and 60 of his relatives? Good news about Haiti. I say we should have gone in there with four tank divisions and turned the place into a casino. Manifest test. Bet your ass. Bruno! Hey, how you doing? Good. Whose throat do I shove these down? Whose skull do I crack with this sign? Don't worry about it. Barnless for president. Yeah, we'll get rid of him. Good, because I was there when he won. 
I saw him get sworn in. I actually wrote the limit. Might be a speech, would you? One that doesn't make me think I'm sitting shiver someplace, black curtains on the mirrors. I'm from Oregon. In Oregon, we like to see a man stand up and say he's sorry. Where are you from? Me? Yeah. I'm from the United States. I've sucked my... All right. I was out trying to find a Starbucks. Guy in a gas station said, around here, people don't pay $4 for a cup of coffee. New Hampshire. Live free or cheap. Okay, that whole first sequence while they were going through the speech this episode, I, I mean, I thought that that was really good. I, I love the way the snake gag actually kind of weaved in and out with uh, different people looking for the snake or looking at the snake in their comments. And uh, Bruno, just like I said last week, I, he's got this very dry sense of humor, and I love it. Yeah, that's that's the Bruno we all love, grumpy Bruno. Um, and you got to get a, a, a Margaret in there anytime that you can because Margaret is just such a gem. So I, I got her uh, humorous moment for this particular episode although you know sometimes her moments are a little over the top but i i just kind of found this one funny because it was kind of a, a satirical comment on society in general also anyway that's enough about the quick jabs let's get into the first clip and in the present bruno and leo's staff debate the language of the announcement speech josh tries to make up for his past problem about tobacco by fixing ru486 with leo and CJ and Abby talk about the image Abby and the president are giving off in the present. Back in the past, the problems between Abby and the president continue to fester. The president directs Nancy how to fix Haiti, and Leo benches CJ. But I am not satisfied. Indeed, I am restless. And I come before you not to speak of the America we have, but Excuse of me, the America... Yeah? We're the envy of every civilization. Yeah. <laughs> Really? They don't vote in England, Toby. Well, they do, actually. Well, he meant that they don't... You know what he meant, thank you. I'll change it, sir. Okay. And somebody stick some pom-poms in that guy's hand? I seek re-election to the presidency, not because of its glories, but because of its challenges. And I have a problem here. Yeah, I wrote that. I'm happy for you. Its challenges makes it sound like you're overwhelmed by the job, and this is exactly the wrong time for that. No, it's exactly the right time to raise the stakes of the election. Why? Because if it's all a day at the beach, then any bozo with a handshake can do it. I'm sorry, but America wants a happy warrior to lead the country, not Dr. Kevorkian. It's true, sir. America does not want Dr. Kevorkian to lead the country. We've got polling data on that. I said maybe you want to think about benching CJ for a few days. Yeah. At least on Haiti. Well, it's Leo's call. Send in Nancy or Peter or someone from state. That way the two stories don't get mixed up. Yeah, it's Leo's call. Look, I'm sorry. I can't get into our thing tonight. Two days ago, you said you had a lot to say. I do. That's why I can't get into it. I have to read. That's all right. All right, I'm going to the study. Okay. Abby, you were lying down when I came in. I didn't see you. I believe you. Are you 486? There's nothing we can do. The last thing we need is to come out of the gate Look, waving a flag to the American heart Josh, man saying we don't share your values. The president understands all that. And? That's the way it goes. Leo. The FDA is an independent agency. They can announce when they want. The FDA is a division of HHS and technically not an independent agency. Technically. I can keep the president away from this. I can call the FDA chief of staff. I got him his job. They can wait no. two weeks to announce the drug. They don't have to do it on Monday. I can fix tobacco. Tobacco. 
No, I meant 46. Leave the FDA alone. Photo op. Yes. My husband and I together. Yeah. With the kids. It would be nice if... Because my husband and I came to the house separately. There are photos of the president getting on the plane alone. Ma'am, this is uncomfortable territory, and obviously I... The press has sources that say that you and the president... They have names. I'm sorry? The sources. No, these are... Unnamed sources. CJ, unnamed sources make me crazy. Just one time, I'd like to see, instead of according to unnamed sources, I'd like to see according to tweaky little ill-informed chicken-ass wannabe... Don't ever come to me again with unnamed sources, CJ. You don't get any cider. I want to end this peacefully and right now. Nancy, what do you think of Venezuela? Venezuela would like to be considered a resource for supplying strategic petroleum reserves. Tell them I'll give the SPR strong consideration. Mike, have the Canadians get a message through. We'll unfreeze his U.S. accounts, but he can't remove any money from Haiti. Only his wife, his children, and his parents can seek asylum. If he tries to go back, He'll be under arrest. And he can screw the private plane. We'll fly him on a C-9 from Port-au-Prince to Caracas. And if he's very good, we won't shoot him in the head on the way. Tell me when it's done. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Thank Thank you, Mr. President. Mr. President. Nancy? Yeah? Let me talk to you a second. When this is a done deal, I want you to stick around for a while and brief the press. She made a mistake, Leo. I'm not punishing her. She made a mistake. I'm not punishing her. You're not the political face of this administration. You're no part of the MS thing, and you won't be asked questions about it. I don't feel right about this. I don't care. So normally I like to just analyze each clip as we go along, but there is there is some larger context uh, with the CJ stuff. So I kind of want to address that as well. Um, so, uh, spoiling the end of the episode, but if you haven't watched the episode, then why are you here? You know, you should be watching these episodes on Netflix or on DVD or however you, whatever medium you have them in. Anyway, uh, on a first watch, there was this thing about CJ that came up from Abby and, and Bartlett said that it was Leo's call. And at the time during my first watch of this, I wondered if Bartlett had talked to Leo um, but then there was another scene that kind of seemed to clear that up where Leo was acting on his own because he informed the president that he was benching CJ. Um, but then here at the end of this episode, Bartlett uh, says it was a mistake benching her for the last press conference. And I can't figure out if he's apologizing to CJ uh, for his doing of this or if it's a criticism of Leo's decision. Because that scene in the middle, I mean, again, Leo tells Bartlett that he was mentioning CJ, and it's like Bartlett didn't know that Leo was going to do this, but he he just took Leo's word that it was the right thing to do. So maybe he was apologizing to CJ at the end because he didn't tell Leo to reverse having Nancy brief. And there's other questions that kind of come to mind, too. It's like... You know, did Leo come to this decision on his own? Did Abby talk to Leo about it since Bartlett said it was Leo's call? Or is it really just supposed to show that two very smart people independently from each other, like Abby and Leo, uh, made the same decision? And does that say that it was actually a good idea to bench CJ, regardless of whether she's mad about it or not? And you throw in that walk and talk 
uh, that I played at the top of the show, it does seem like CJ is primarily mad at Leo. So I don't know exactly why Bartlett needs to say anything at the end. I, I mean, is it just to appease her to keep from resigning? Um, is it something like uh, the buck stops here? I mean, it, maybe it's that kind of thing for Bartlett. But I, I just wasn't really clear if it needed to actually be said. And even watching it this time around, I'm not clear that Bartlett needed to say that. But, you know, that's the way he made peace with CJ in the end. Um, and it doesn't mean that none of the, the stuff at the end doesn't have an emotional impact. I just felt like this is one of those points where Sorkin could have been a little more clear as to why Bartlett felt like he needed to more or less apologize if the rest of the show seemed to indicate that it really wasn't his decision. Um, maybe it is just a, a buck stops here kind of thing. Maybe that's what that was about. He did, you know, he did say, tell Leo, yeah, that's fine. Or okay, I guess he basically said. He didn't tell him not to do it. So, anyway, as for the conflicting between the presidential staff and Bruno's people in, in regards to the speech itself, uh, that, of course, continues to build and fester as we go through the episode as well. At least in this part, I mean, it is impassioned, but it still has a little bit of a humorous edge, at least to a, a degree, right? Um, there are some underlying issues here that start to boil to the surface with each person, though, and with each scene where we see them debating the language. And there comes a point in this episode where things really, really get heated and you just almost feel like that's just kind of like Sorkin throwing another dark cloud over the show because it gets you thinking, okay, the MS thing is still looming over them. The subpoenas haven't come out. Um, they're going to get badgered about the CJ and MS thing, or they've already been badgered about the CJ and MS thing, and that's probably not too far behind them. And now they're going to make their announcement of their bid to run again, and the different staffs are not working together at all. I mean, they, they couldn't have come from more different points of views, it seems like. So I guess the cloud that Sorkin is trying to throw over the whole thing is, how can anything successful possibly come out of that? I mean, I do like the way the tension between Toby and Doug continues to build, especially in this episode, and we'll address that more as we go along. And, and then, of course, to throw more gas on this fire, or to throw more clouds in the sky... Sorkin starts now to reveal more about Abby and Jed in a direct fashion where we see scenes between them, where we understand where all that tension came from last week just by the mention of Abby. He built all that up and now he explains it. Last week they only had the one scene, but now we get this uh, direct course of what happened in the past. And yeah, you need to see that on screen. Um, and I, I love the building tension in each of the scenes between Abby and, and Bartlett this week. But I also kind of enjoyed not knowing exactly what happened as well in the prior episode. But the question is this, in this scene, do you really think Bartlett was trying to avoid Abby? Or did he really not see her? I, I actually, I think that it's the former. Um, the Haiti thing is, is a good excuse to get out of talking about it, but because the excuses continue and they continue to get more flimsy as we go along, 
Um, I think this is just Bartlett trying to dodge the bullet. And I, I think I have some reasoning for that, but I'll get to that later as well. And I guess that's all I have for this particular clip, so let's move on to clip two. In the present, Doug and Toby continue to clash. Josh inquires with CJ about what's going on with her, and they talk about RU486. Going back to the past, Sam goes to Leo about an apology. Leo talks to CJ about Bruno. The president negotiates Bruno's terms, and we find out what's been bothering Josh about tobacco. So I wanted to make you aware of something. Yeah? Well, I've looked through the transcript a couple of times, and he never apologized. What do you mean? In the interview, he never apologized, and I think it's something we're going to get hung with later. Well, let's wait a few weeks, see what happens with the numbers, and take another look. Yeah. Anything else? You wanted a private plane? You believe it. I could have stood on top of the Sears Tower with a Stratocaster, and that story would have been drowned out. I'm not assigning blame. Really? Yes. We need help. I'm bringing in Bruno Gianelli. It's too early for Bruno. No. Toby, Sam and Josh, the guys aren't going to like it. They'll have to live with it. This campaign must not be about the disease God gave me, but the opportunities God has given our country. You're going back to the strategy that failed for a month. What's that? All MS, all the time. It was a little damage control needed to be done. You couldn't stop educating the public. You guys are never happier than when you're educating the public. A month ago, 74% of them thought MS was fatal. And every time you told them it wasn't, there was a story about MS. Just change the subject. Yeah, why the hell didn't I think of that? I don't know, Toby, but if you had, I probably wouldn't be here. Bruno. Morning, Mr. President. I understand you're going to be working with us. Well, sir, obviously I'm pleased to be approached. I believe there is a great deal I can do for you. You have one or two demands. Yes, sir. You want 12% of the ad buys. Okay. 12. And... A room, a car, and a driver, that's no problem. Oh, thank you, sir. I'll also need unfettered access to you. No. Sir... I'm sorry, Bruno. Leo runs the show. Respectfully, sir. It's a deal breaker. Okay. What's this room usually used for? I don't know. Desks, the blackboard, could be some kind of a classroom. CJ. Yeah. What's going on? What do you mean? Nothing. You sure? Yeah. What's going on with RU486? Leo won't let me wave off the FDA. It's against the law. <sighs> no, he had a point. Who? Doug. They were arrogant? Mm -hmm. I guess that means Doug won't be coming to my sweet 16 then. You were the one who sent them the press release, right? What press release? Subcommittee about tobacco. Yes, I was. Well, that was stupid. You think? Yeah, I know. I got two years as legislative director in the House, two years as floor director in the Senate, and 30 months as deputy chief of staff. What do you got? Josh. Comeback's a fat-ass Rotarian gas bag. I knew once I sent the thing, he'd raise the profile and give us the press we needed. Well, Comeback is vulnerable in his home state. It's got an influx of tech and other clean industries along his Route 9 corridor, along with the suburban voters that go with that affluent parents who don't want their kids smoking. We got the money, Bruno. You don't want the money. You want the issue. Should have waited until the fall when the bell rings, and then we hammer them with it. And Comback, Leader, Ross, O'Rourke, Stevens, whoever gets the nomination has it hanging around their necks that nicotine pushes. Plus, you get the money. The sooner you get, I know what I'm talking about, and I'm on your side. 
the sooner your world gets better. Of course, you got the money. I'm amazed you didn't send it to you with candy and a stripper. Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio. Three swing states you could have brought over with that. That's an election. Now, while I cut out the bit with Leo and Bruno in the past, uh, if you watch the episode, then you know that just about every one of Bruno's big demands to Leo are are negotiated way down or totally dispensed with by Bartlett. And I, I love that. But more than just the humorous aspects of it, I also love how the sequence makes Bruno a truly likable guy, in my opinion. I mean, he gets off the impression of, of needing power all up until this point. I mean, we've seen him in the present, we've, and now we're just now meeting him in the past. But in the present, you know, he seems like he's all power guy. Uh, and even in the past, when we first meet him, you know, he he's pretty much just demanding of Leo what he wants in order to make it happen. And he's very confident. But once he gets into the room with Bartlett, by giving these concessions, it not only shows his respect for Bartlett, but I think actually also shows his passion for being on the right side of issues and a willingness to give up his own conceit in favor of a greater good. And really up until this moment, Bruno isn't all that likable. I mean, that we've seen him in the show up to this moment. Um, I don't think you can ever think of him as not capable but you just don't really have any reason to think of Bruno in any other way than like a quote professional pollster, um, despite any kind of vote of confidence that you hear about him from Leo uh, to CJ. But that is the important thing is that Bruno is very on top of his game as far as the politicking goes, because not only do we get a decent sounding resume from elections past in the conversations with Leo and Bartlett, but we also get that Bruno can think long-term politically. Um, and that shows itself up when we finally get to why Josh is so bent out of shape about RU486. It's because he's trying to make up for this mistake about tobacco that he makes. And like we've seen before, Josh, he's a pretty boastful fellow himself, right? So you could see him and Bruno kind of clashing heads. Um, but Josh is also very good and he boasts about this as well as how he can slap congress around he's done it before we've seen him do it on the show but this time around it has cost him dearly because he had not seen this opportunity this long-term opportunity about tobacco and that's actually when you think about it kind of in josh's vein to not think long term he, he's been mostly in this series, a, a reaction guy. Most of the crisis that Josh has had to face since we met him in season one have, have had a need primarily for uh, in-the-moment actions, you know, or reactionary actions. And in this way, in this conversation with Josh, Bruno really establishes himself as a, a chess player. And... Uh, you can only hope that that teaches Josh a lesson that he can use in the future, right? Uh, in terms of thinking long-term. In the now, however, 
you got to give it up for Brad Woodford for making that realization of what his mistake, what Josh's mistake might mean. Uh, he really made that feel impactful, and I, I really like that. Now, as for CJ, I mean, in the present, she's having problems with the president, with Leo, and even the first lady so far. She doesn't get any cider, right? And in the past, um, the whole relieved thing in her press briefing is still looming. Um, and she's pretty angry about being benched. And, and, and you can feel her frustration. Uh, and you can feel it building up in the present. Uh, when Josh asks her what's going on, by the way, she just kind of cuts him off. Nothing. You know, she doesn't even want to talk about it now. She, she has made up her mind at this point. And I kind of spoiled what her mind made up is at the beginning of this episode. But like I said, you've watched the episode, so you know what it is now. Um, but the thing is, the issue that's really going on with everybody, and this is including Toby and Doug, CJ, everybody, uh, what's going on underneath for all of these characters is actually demonstrated in, in Sam's talk with Leo. Because this isn't a, about an apology by the president to the public. I mean, they're all hanging that on it to, I don't know, deflect their own personal feelings. But this is about personal feelings of betrayal for all of these characters. I mean, many of the characters in, in this show, you know, they work the problem and then they figure out how it makes them feel, right? We've seen that happen before in this show. Uh, and that's because they're professionals, that's what you do, I guess, if you're a professional. You work the problem, uh, and then you emote on it later. But since we're seeing this story take place over the dynamic of you know a four-week period, you actually get to see the character starting to work the problem, but you also start to see how, over time, it affects them on an emotional and, and a personal level. And that really adds a whole different kind of dynamic to the story because... Now it's really not about the problem anymore. It's, it's more about how each character has to deal with their personal feelings about the problem. And in this case, with Leo, Sam's still working the problem professionally in this flashback. But you see in the present with Toby and Doug how personal the problem has become. And, and that brings us to our next clip. We're in the present Abby tells the president to reach out to the staff. Sam and Connie talk about a need for an apology. And Doug and Toby get down to the real issue for everyone involved. In the past, we'll see the point where it all boiled over for Abby and the president. And we'll see Sam and Toby talking about their frustrations. I didn't know you were going to be here. I'm introducing you. I thought Leland was doing it. Well, CJ thought it would be good. Okay, yeah. I mean, I can tell. No, I think it's a good idea. Okay. You need to reach out to the staff. Once you do that, they'll feel better. And then so will you. Going back to the house. Why won't you talk to me? Why aren't you with me? How do you know I'm not? You're not. You're pissed at me? I'm trying to read here. You're pissed at me. I don't believe it. I don't believe you. Abby. I don't believe you. You go from I've got a lot to say to I can't say it right now because I've got so much to say to I gotta read about agriculture and you're not with me and go to hell. Look. Now that's an extraordinary evolution. Can I go a week without explaining myself. 
You can go as long as you want without explaining yourself. Read your book. Sit down. We'll talk about it now. I'm not in the mood, jackass. Isn't there any way I could change your mind? Because I really had my heart set on it. Go to hell. Bartlett lied to us. President Bartlett, Sam, come on. Did you know that many multiple sclerosis advocates actually instruct victims to hide the illness because it's so misunderstood? You think they advise presidential candidates to do that? They don't. That night he told you? Yeah. Didn't you feel like? I went crazy. I wailed on him in the Oval Office. None of us had the chance to do that. I know. We could have gotten it done. If he'd have just told us at the beginning, this would have been a whole different yeah. game. Um, I mean, it seems to me your job is to wait until Doug leaves the room and then say what Doug really meant was how much they pay for that. Sometimes it's my job to say it when he's in the room. Yeah. We're making a mistake not including an apology. Is this what you mean or is this what Doug means? Both. It's not going to happen. Why not? Because Jed Bartlett's Jed Bartlett and that's the way it goes. Well, I think that's what you're saying, and it makes sense, but you know what? What? I think you want him to apologize, and not just for political reasons. I haven't really thought that much about it. Sam. There's been a lot going on, and I haven't really thought that much about it. You were with him at the beginning. You got him elected. You got him elected. You worked for Bartlett 18 hours a day. You never felt... Kai. Please, it's President Bartlett. You guys are so pissed at him, you don't even know it. You're more pissed at him than the press is. You're more pissed at him than the party is. You're so pissed at him, you're pissed at me. Because if he hadn't lied, then you could have run the campaign you always wanted to run instead of a bunch of people coming in here and teaching you how not to bother anybody. I never drank the Kool-Aid, Toby. I came to win. And you're so pissed at him, you can't even admit that for the last two weeks, you've gone to sleep at night thanking God that I did. Bruno just got off with Leo. The speech is locked. I'll start with Sam, I guess. Uh, always the idealist, this guy. And, and we love him for that, right? I mean, I personally kind of think it's a little naive for Sam to think that if they knew about the MS before the election, they could have revealed the MS and won anyway. I really don't believe that. And maybe that's just because I'm a little cynical because I just see so much fear in the electorate that we have in today's times. But you you still really have to love Sam for honestly believing that. And then there's this frustration that Sam shows with Toby in the past. You know, this frustration that he finally voices to Toby about the fact that he didn't get a chance to be mad. And and that was more or less like what he told Leo in the last episode. I mean, that whole, some of us have had more time than others thing. I mean, he finally gets to air that frustration to Toby a little later on. And you really have to love Toby in that moment because Toby, even in the present, still has reason to be angry with Bartlett, as Doug points out. Yet, in the past, he calms Sam down. And, and teaches him to have respect in the moment. And you love that big brother, little brother relationship between Toby and Sam. Because Sam does exactly 
what little brothers do. Uh, he emulates the big brother, right? When Connie comes to him and, and just is saying stuff about Bartlett, he says, please, Connie, it's, it's President Bartlett. He shows her, tells her to show respect. But you also like to see that just like with Toby being mad, Sam is still mad too. I mean, you can hear it in the way that he says, because Bartlett is Bartlett and that's just how it is, right? I mean, he's frustrated. They're all so frustrated with Bartlett right now. And that's where Connie and Doug actually do show real value themselves as new characters. They're they're able to see what's happening to these guys when the guys can't see it for themselves. And, And they keep pointing it out to them and forcing them to admit it to themselves. And, and this whole clip is just full of great character moments like that. And that shows itself even more with Abby and the President, I think, because their fights in the past shows just how much he really doesn't want to talk about this. And I think he's kind of being an ass and selfish in a way. Um, I think that there's also some justification you can find in it. Uh, I really can't blame Abby for being angry with him at this point at all. I mean, he's drug it out to the point where the issue that they had about running again isn't even the issue anymore. Now, uh, as far as Bartlett's concerned, it can just be a fight and then it can be over. And I think that's because Bartlett knows that if he actually tried to have an actual discussion about it with Abby then Abby probably would have convinced him that he shouldn't run again. And he doesn't want to be in that place where he could be convinced otherwise. And now that he has the actual presidency, he really can't let it go because he thinks there's still just too much to do. And we know that's in his head because of his internal mind conversation with Dolores Lanningham at this season two finale. He talked himself into realizing that there was just too much to do. And he can't afford, and he feels like America can't afford, for Abby to talk him into stepping down without trying harder. So I think while the methods that Bartlett employed to get to this point where they're just fighting like this and just trying to avoid the issue altogether um, are a little selfish, but the motivation behind the being selfish in the fact that he's actually thinking about what still needs to be happening for America And the fact that he's the only guy in the show who knows with certainty that the MS isn't going to be something he should use as a reason to stop. Um, You know, he doesn't want an MS excuse to stop doing the hard things. So while he can be a selfish butt, there's also something that you can find really likable about his motivations at very least. Maybe not his methods, but his motivations. And here, here's one uh, just kind of humorous observation. Notice that every time Toby is in like this really heated argument with someone, either with Doug or the president or whatever, there's like this extraordinarily loud clock ticking. I mean, is that a thing? Is it supposed to be a, a metaphor for, you know, the ticking time bomb or maybe the turning of the gears in the brain? Um or maybe Richard Schiff just has a really bad luck with the way that scenes are blocked, you know, and mics are placed. Yeah, uh, not such a great joke, but let's move on. In this fourth clip, Josh and Donna talk about what's going on with Josh 
and the president and CJ talk about their issues. Ma'am. You're supposed to be downstairs. Yeah. You're not ready yet? We're blowing this RU486 thing. You gotta get in the shower. Among everything else, it's gonna look like we're kicking off the campaign by pandering to women's groups. Josh. Yeah, no question about it. Most voters are pro-choice, but the ones that aren't are gonna devote their lives and their money to beating you. Guns don't kill people. Bartlett does. It's gonna look like we screwed up the timing so the press is going to write about process and not about issues and getting political reporters to write about issues in the first place is like getting kids to eat their vegetables i'm gonna shave don't you want to know how it's like getting kids to eat their vegetables shave and shower it helps if there's nothing else on their plate you couldn't sleep no i could stop this thing one phone call the president's not even involved could you do us a favor could you hold off two weeks we love your drug, but we don't want it folded into our news cycle. I could have picked up the phone. I could have picked up the Josh. phone. I could What's this about? I blew the tobacco thing. That could have helped us. That was... It's going to be a very close election. Mr. President? Come in. I was told you wanted to see me? Yeah. Don't be a marriage counselor. It pisses me off, okay? I'm sorry? You know what I'm talking about. Sir... That part of my life doesn't belong to you. Sir, I was simply putting together what I thought was the best press event. The First Lady is an excellent speaker. All right. That's all. I'll see you after. Sir, I think if you get a bump in the polls after today's speech, as we expect you will, I think it'd be a good time for me to resign. Yeah? Well, to leave earlier would have been strategically... Yeah, okay. Look, the press is... That's nonsense to me, and I don't care. Well, you might for not care... For all the new jobs we've created, there are single mothers working two of them at minimum wage. There are school districts where less than half the students graduate. And a kid born in Harlem is more likely to go to prison than a four-year college. They're bringing guns to school. Don't you dare that. lecture me, Mr. President. Don't you dare do it. I was never supposed to win. I got in it polling in the single digits. Hoynes had it locked up. I got in it to give some speeches and keep him honest. Then you guys came along and all of a sudden I got 22% in Iowa and then South Carolina and Michigan and then Illinois. It was a mistake benching you for that last press conference. Excuse me, CJ, they need you. I need you too. Thank you, Mr. President. I don't know. After listening to this clip again and rewatching the episode, maybe that bit with Bartlett seems a little bit less like an apology to me and more like a, a, an indictment of Leo's decision, which in a way, of course, is also an indictment of Abby's suggestion too, but oh well, at, le at least they made up. Um, now the whole marriage counselor thing was an interesting accusation. If you remember from season one, 
when we first met Abby, there did seem to be a lot more of a personal relationship between Abby and CJ. And if you remember CJ and Abby talking after CJ found out about the MS and Abby saying that she wanted to be there when CJ was told about the MS, I guess you can see that Bartlett might make that leap to thinking that CJ was playing a marriage counselor. But uh, as she explained, she really was just doing her job. And then you come into this whole resignation thing and CJ shouting back at the president. Uh, that really demonstrated the frustration that she's feeling right now. And not just about, uh, you know, getting benched, but just the same frustrations that everybody in this show is feeling about the need for an apology. But also Bartlett gives this little speech about never intending to win as an explanation as to why he never disclosed the MS. He, you know, he didn't think that it mattered. But I kind of have a problem with this, and that is Bartlett had run for office several times before that. And, you know, he'd never disclosed the MS then either. Now, I, I can't exactly remember when he said he was diagnosed in his conversation with Leo, but I'm betting that he was sitting in at least one of those elected offices when Leo approached him to run right? Was it governor or something like that? I'm not sure. Um, shouldn't he have already disclosed that to the people of New Hampshire? Um, so I guess my question is, is does that make you feel like he intended to cover it up no matter how far it got? And does that make his little speech here to CJ um, seem disingenuous or at least less ingenuous um, you guys think about that and you can let me know. You can send an email to sorkincast at gmail.com or you can tweet at sorkincast or you can call 314-669-1840. Another issue is on the other side because Josh is really torn up about what Bruno said, of course, and in his mind he's trying to make up for that and he has been trying to make up for that ever since. But think about where after the MS announcement, he decides now he's going to release the tobacco thing. I mean, was that Josh's way of directing his own anger about the president concealing the truth from the staff? Like he needed to lash out at something. And the most obvious avenue was that the tobacco lawsuit, that's the avenue that he chose. And I wonder if that's why Josh right now seems least affected by everything that's going on and seemingly building up in everybody else. Um, he's already seen what a mistake lashing out can be, right? And he's much more settled as far as the president goes than the rest of them because he saw, you know, that lashing out has now caused him a world of trouble that may cost the president the election uh, with those three swing states that Bruno mentioned. I do want to say that Brad Woodford did, a, again, a great job in this episode with the, the depression, the frustration of it all. Um, I did think it was a fantastic scene. But really, Josh, you know, he's more worried about the problem again, whereas everybody else is now dealing with the emotional side. And I feel like it's because Josh dealt with the emotional side first, uh, and now he's having to face the consequences of the problem. Anyway, uh, that's all I've got on that clip, so let's move to the final clip where the day of the speech, Abby and the president make up in the car, 
and the president apologizes to the staff. Did you know that hardly any of the guys who landed on the moon are married to the same people they were married to before they went there? What? I'm just saying it could be worse. I could have been an astronaut. You could not have been an astronaut. I'd have been a great astronaut. You're afraid of heights, speed, fire, and small places. I'd have overcome it to go to the moon. I know you would have. I'm really happy you're introducing me. I'm really happy about that. There's something important I have to say. Say it. I haven't really made up my mind yet. But at the moment, I'm leaning towards voting for you. Victim to torpor and timidity. Torpor is not a word a lot of people know. It means apathy and dullness. I know what it means. That means... They know what I mean. Hi. If they don't know what the word means... What's the word? Torpor. It means apathy. And dullness. I know what the word means. I'm saying if people don't know what the word means... They can look it up. Good morning, Good morning, Mr. Morning, Mr. President. It's not our job to appeal to the lowest common denominator, Doug. It's our job to raise it. If you're going to be the education president, it'd be nice not to hide that you have an education. It occurs to me I never said I'm sorry. I am. For the lawyers, for the press, for the mess, for the fear. Bruno, Doug, Connie, these guys are good. They want to win, so do we. The only thing we want more is to be right. I wonder if you can't do both. There's a new book and we're gonna write it. You can win if you run a smart, disciplined campaign. If you studiously say nothing, nothing that causes you trouble, nothing that's a gaffe, nothing that shows you might think the wrong thing, nothing that shows you think, but it just isn't worthy of us, is it, Toby? No, sir. It isn't worthy of us. It isn't worthy of America. It isn't worthy of a great nation. We're going to write a new book right here, right now, this very moment today. Sir? So you have this one last little ramp up of tension between Abby and Jed before they let it all go. You know, that whole, I haven't made up my mind yet. And then she goes back to, uh, I'm willing to support your decision, basically. Um, But the whole thing using being an astronaut as a metaphor for the MS, um, I got to admit that was a little cheesy for me. The, the whole, I would overcome it all to go to the moon is essentially saying I will overcome the MS issue to remain president and I will be fine health wise and all of this stuff, other things that Abby had put over him. Uh, but the two good things that do come out of this scene 
are that Abby says, I know you would, uh, which is kind of a nice endorsement uh, of Bartlett in the way that just as she's saying he would overcome his fears about the moon, um, she will try to overcome her fears about the MS. Because in that moment, in retrospect, you can see that Abby really realizes that he can overcome the MS issue and that she's going to be there to support him uh, in times when he has trouble, if he has trouble. You know, there's this whole looming thing about uh, if, if the disease progresses or whatever and what kind of troubles he might have. Um, I would think that she, obviously, even just as a doctor, would have to have her concerns for his health, you know, remaining good. But uh, she also knows that the reason she married this guy is because she thinks of him as a great man and that he thinks of her as a great woman. I think that that's important to note as well. And the other nice bit about this whole thing is that they are slowly getting back to making jokes with one another. I mean, him with the astronaut bit and her about voting for him. I mean, that helps ease the tension of the last four weeks within the story quite a bit for us as viewers because it really got um, pretty bad there for a minute and and then you had all of the angst about all of the staff about it um the, my only question is was that resolution really earned because I, I i don't know one additional scene other than her just telling jed to reach out to the staff the night before the speech would have been helpful i mean i'm have no experience in this because uh, you know other than being the son of a married couple I, I've never been married but I guess a lot of married couples just kind of allow their their fights to, to just go away um, they learn to let things go just because they love each other but that also is at the cost of uh, using communication to resolve issues right if you're a person from that kind of camp and I've always been a person of that kind of camp um, I love communication. Maybe that's why I'm not married. Maybe married couples aren't supposed to communicate. I'm just joking, folks. I know there's lots of married listeners out there. I adore you for your ability to do that. I just don't have that kind of uh, uh, talent. Is that the right way to put it? Anyway, as for the final scene, I will say the, uh, the torpor joke before the president came in. That was funny because you even have Doug, uh, you know, he's railing once again and, and, and Toby keeps adding dullness to the apathy thing. Um, and it's really just Toby saying that Doug, he, Doug is dull is more or less what it is. That's what I love about it. It's, it the dullness is directed at Doug. It, it's part of, part of the definition as well, but it's directed at Doug. Plus, and Connie tries to tell, uh, you know, she tries to do what Sam uh, says she's actually paid to do. And even Doug says that they know what he, he means. That was great, I thought. And as, as for fixing things with the rest of the staff, I mean, it was good that he personally apologized to all of them. Uh, even if he never apologizes in public, uh, the staff did need that. And I kind of have to look at this new book kind of last Sorkin fairy tale esque kind of speech um, and, and try to decide if it's one of two things. Because I can look at it as kind of like this repetitive motive, like you have in music, 
that that builds themes and stuff like that. And I can appreciate it in that way. But there's also a chance that one could look at it more or less as a regurgitation of the speech that Leo gave to the staff in season one at the end of Let Bartlett Be Bartlett. Right? I mean, it's more or less the exact same thing, just said with different words. And the Sorkin fan in me wants to believe that it's more like the repetitive motive thing. Um, but the person who has seen a lot of successful television shows, that they just kind of go back to playing the hits multiple times throughout the years. Um, that kind of uh, worries me that it might be more the latter. But that's just me. And that's all I've got on the episode, I think. So let's get to my rating. I really feel like that even though the story was spread out over a four-week period in their world, uh, things kind of wrapped up just a little bit too quickly and too, maybe too neat of a bow uh, in this episode. And not that all of it didn't come with some powerful moments. Don't get me wrong. Um, The ending just felt a little bit too fairy tale to me. So I'm going to give this episode, it's still a good episode, I'm going to give it an 8.5. And last week I promised you that I'd look at both part one and part two episodes combined. But when you do that, you're still affected by the ending, no matter how good the first part is. Um, I did like the Bruno development over the course of the whole episode uh, as a two-parter. I did like uh, the Josh stuff, the way it built up as a result of the two-parter. And the problem, again, is the ending. So I I think if I rank both parts together, I can still only come to about an 8.6. I think I did 8.9 for the first part. Maybe that was more out of excitement than true analyzation. I don't know. But I'm going to go 8.6 for the two parts as a whole, 8.5 for this one as an individual episode. And that's going to do it for this podcast Next week, we've got Season 3, Episode 4, Ways and Means. And don't forget, it's time to start thinking about your feedback. Get it to me by Tuesday, May 23rd, 2017, for the first 12 episodes of West Wing. If you have any thoughts about my comments about these episodes, feel free to just go ahead and start writing in now. I'll collect it all together and put, uh, put everything in context in the feedback episode, which will come up the last week of May. Also, don't forget the polls start April 4th, 2017 and close June 6th, 2017 regarding what you want us to cover after we cover Season 3 of West Wing. And it's never too late to start thinking about your West Wing awards for Season 3. Favorite and least favorite episode, scene, main character, and guest star. And that's going to do it. Here is all of the ways you can contact me in order to get me your feedback. Thanks for listening and take care. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840.
The Sorkin cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV network.